Welcome to Engaged. I'm Paco, and I'm here again with Brian and Reggie. And today, we're going to be talking about survival mode. That crazy sense that all teachers uh, feel, especially at the beginning of the year when it's just overwhelming and we just don't know how to get from the beginning of the day to the end. So we have a couple of strategies that we're going to talk about. Um, specifically, uh, first, we're going to talk about attendance and the importance of attendance taking, uh, dealing with tardiness, absences, and all that sort of thing as it relates to both the K-12 and community college. And then we'll, we'll talk about how we do our basic uh, lesson plans for those first couple of weeks to make sure that our, our focus isn't so much on knowing what we're gonna cover in a given day, but uh, just getting to know our students. So Reggie, you have a, a, a specific strategy that you like to use, and I think it's not, it's not just actually a single strategy, it's more of a method of organization. Can you talk about how you use the clipboard in your classroom? Okay, so I have a, uh, a magic clipboard, I, I like to call it. Uh, it's something that I, I purchased uh, maybe my second or third year of teaching. Uh, one of the first things that uh, I believe is really important uh, is uh, attendance. And uh, even in community college, I'm required to take attendance. So um, I use the clipboard uh, along with a spreadsheet that I, I, I print out with students' names on it. Uh, it's kind of in a grid. It's got the days uh, of the week that I'll be teaching uh, that class for the week. And what I'll do is I'll use it for attendance at the beginning of the school year uh, or the semester. Uh, I will use it to uh, write down phonetic spellings of students' names. I'll take notes on the sheet um, you know, as necessary, and uh, it's really it's uh, the the clipboard itself is it opens up so I keep uh, uh, other documents in there, um, maps at the beginning of the semester to hand out to students who are new, don't know how to get around campus. Uh, I, I'll I have a system that um, I have a PowerPoint that I make with uh, students. I have students send me uh, pictures, a picture of themselves. Uh, at the beginning of the semester with their name on it and I make it into a PowerPoint and I print that out and I put it in my clipboard so to help me learn their names I have a um, my goal is to know everyone's name uh, by like week four and I'm, I'm usually pretty uh, uh, successful with with uh, getting that done and so uh, you know it, it's it's just become a method for me to get my most basic thing done and um, and it's it's you know it's transitioned with me from uh, high school to, to college and it's been very very successful. Uh, I use it on a daily basis and it's really become kind of like my lifeblood uh, in 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 the classroom. And just the idea of having all of that information at your fingertips at any given time, I think, just makes so much sense. Uh, I, I use something similar. I just use a, a basic clipboard. I don't have the the extra stuff that Reggie's does. But oh, you need to get it. You need to get it. I know. I know. I know. We've been telling. I'll you send you the link. Yeah. I just look. Google Magic Clipboard. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of having that spreadsheet, and most school districts, it's my sense, have switched to some sort of online attendance program where you can print out rosters with pictures and the days of the week and why any teacher wouldn't have that redundant system where you can have it on paper so that you can cross-check with their online attendance checking system. It just it, it just makes so much sense that you would utilize that sort of a tool to have everything at your fingertips. And I love what you say about writing down phonetic spelling. Um, there's, an ad, there's an activity that I do on like day one with each of my students where they tell me an interesting fact about themselves or some interest or hobby, then I can write it down next to their phonetic spelling so that for the next two or three weeks, as you say, as I'm learning who they are and their names and putting names to faces, 
it just makes a lot of sense to have all of that information at your fingertips every single day. And um, as we all know, attendance is super important and having accurate attendance is very important. Brian, what, do you, what, what strategies do you use as far as attendance taking or keeping track of your kids in your class? Uh, I have learned that uh, I'm not the most organized person in terms of my desktop during the first couple of weeks of school. So uh, the attendance rosters I photocopy on some bright colored paper. Uh, so it's easy to find even when it's in a stack of papers. It's all yellow paper or orange paper, whatever it might be. Uh, and then it's more of a journal. I write on the seating charts. Uh, I've made copies of those, so then the first weeks is all uh, recorded. So some of the same information that Reggie was talking about uh, in terms of uh, pronunciation of names, where does the emphasis go, uh, if they have a nickname, usually then they tell you that first few days uh, what they prefer to be called. Uh, if there's any sort of accommodations that show up in paperwork, vision problems, ESC accommodations, things like that for preferential seating. So the, that all gets noted on, on the seating chart. And then when it comes time in, a, in two or three weeks to revise for the next set, I refer to those. Yeah, especially, um, I mean, we all have to deal with this, this, the adding and dropping of students in those first few weeks. Having accurate attendance is, is so important. And then I, I think something really important to talk about as well in those first couple of weeks of school as we start kind of getting into the bogs of the, of the, of the routine and making sure that we don't become overwhelmed is that those first two weeks of school, we know very specifically how we're going to run our classes. And this is both in procedural sense, but also just the materials that we're gonna hand out to students. I think we all get into a routine once those first few weeks are passed, but knowing exactly what we're gonna do those first couple of weeks, I think can stave off a lot of the panic that you might feel as you go home each night and you start thinking about your next day, what am I gonna do? What do my students need to know? If those first couple of weeks are explicitly planned out, then I think that that might really relieve a lot of the tension. And Brian, talk about how you manage that on your first couple of weeks. Yeah, so staying organized is one of the keys for me, as I said. So I tend to use these bins, these sort of stackable bins, about uh, 10 quart, 12 quart sort of bins that will still fit on shelves. And in one week sort of goes all in one. And as much as I can uh, get photocopied, run off, and sometimes the actual physical materials, if they need scissors or rulers or tape, or if I always know they need a roll of masking tape for this, all of that gets put into the bin so that essentially the uh, first two or three weeks of school is sort of on autopilot in that all the work has been done upfront planning. So then the energy I expend during the classroom periods is for classroom management and circulating, getting to know the students. Randy, what, what do those first couple of weeks look like for you? Um, well, it, it, you know, it, it, one of the things that's really uh, helped me a lot is, is that the fact that, you know, we have 16 week semesters. So, you know, it's, it, it, it is not as long to, uh, to plan for. And then also the fact that I've, you know, I'm going into my fifth year now. So, um, I kind of have uh, a system down at least in a couple of my classes that, um, that I'm able to replicate. Uh, we use canvas. So, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff is online. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll copy stuff from, you know, one canvas shell into the next. And, you know, you're always tweaking stuff, but uh, it makes it that much easier for you to be able to do that. And I also have, um, I, I, all my files are in Dropbox. And what I do is I just 
copy a lot of the stuff from last semester into next semester when I'm preparing it to put on Canvas. So, you know, having having stuff that you've already done just makes it that much easier to be able to do do your planning, obviously. And I think that as creative as 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 we all want to be in terms of our lesson planning and the materials that we present to our kids, I think that for those first couple of weeks, using stuff that we've used in years past that we know is efficient in at least getting students comfortable with the procedures and with the materials, um, and especially borrowing from materials that other teachers have used, especially if you're a new or young teacher going into the classroom for the first, second, or third time, making sure that you're asking other more experienced teachers for things that they have done, borrowing those materials. I actually believe, at least as a more experienced teacher, that when a, when a younger teacher asks me for help, that it just demonstrates that you're willing to learn and grow in your profession. And seeking help and asking for those materials for the first couple of weeks from other teachers, I think is a great strategy to utilize. And I think it would be foolish to ignore the experience of those teachers who are around you. Yeah, one, one has to remember a reciprocity and a borrowing schedule. Uh, you know, it's always uh, good to be able to borrow and, and ask to borrow as long as somebody is replenishing and restoring that. So. Uh, sometimes a department or a hallway gets used to somebody who borrows stuff but never brings it back or it comes back in bad shape. So if you get into that pattern of borrowing, uh, make sure that you replenish and perhaps bring it back better than you took it from the person. That is, if uh, something needs to be replenished or something needs to be replaced, go ahead and do that. You're more likely to get cooperation from your colleague. Absolutely. No teacher is an island. Okay, so Brian is going to talk to us about uh, Think Like a Freak by Stephen Levitt and Stephen Dubner. Um, so, Brian, what are your takeaways from this book? Yeah, so these are the guys who bring us the Freakonomics uh, bestseller and podcast as well. So this isn't the original Freakonomics book, but one of the subsequent ones. And the idea is to help us understand how we're thinking. So not just presenting uh, evidence of things that have gone wrong, but perhaps how we can think better. So, so talk to us about um, how this relates to the classroom. So in 200 easy reading uh, pages, lots of the chapters have some directly uh, applicable items that can be applied. Uh, starting off on chapter three, something I get uh, asked by my students quite a lot is, what's your problem? Uh, so uh, that helps to frame the idea that if we don't ask the right question, uh, we're probably surely going to get the wrong answer. Well, wow, I've, I've been heard that. <laughs> I've been asked that question <laughs> lots of times, by not just by students. Yes, yeah, so generally speaking, the uh, most relatable thing that I uh, present to my students is uh, related to the old uh, hot dog eating contest that Nathan's puts on every year in which uh, Takeru Kobayashi has become famous for. So uh, rather than viewing this idea of how do I eat more hot dogs, uh, Kobayashi presented it instead, how do I make hot dogs easier to eat? So generally he developed a different plan on how to consume the hot dogs by ripping them in half, by dipping them in water, and he was the first one who figured out that it wasn't just conventionally doing the same thing but faster, uh, but to revolutionize how you address the problem. Oh, that's interesting. So it's just really a different take uh, or reframing the question in a different way. Exactly, and, and perhaps uh, getting rid of some suppositions and misconceptions that create bias uh, a priori. 
Hmm. And what else, uh, what else do you take away from this book? Uh, just to uh, have the listeners get a little bit interested in some of the other chapter titles, if they want to pick this up from their local library. Uh, chapter 7 is titled, What Did King Solomon and David Lee Roth Have in Common? Chapter 8 is, How to Persuade People Who Don't Want to Be Persuaded. Those are my students. Uh, and number 9 is The Upside of Quitting. Wow. Interesting about the uh, quit, quitting uh, chapter. Um, um, I actually just downloaded the, the beginning of a book that maybe I'll bring to you in a, in a, in a later uh, engaged read called uh, The Quit Point. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, and I, I kind of just kind of looked at the preview of it, and, and it just kind of talks about how that, that point where um, students decide that they're not going to be able to continue and analyzing uh, that point um, and, and how that relates to, you know, how we can uh, help them be more successful in kind of powering through and, 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 and getting beyond that. Yeah, a couple of things that we're used to, but students sometimes haven't heard before, is the whole idea of you keep doing the same thing over again and you expect different results. Um, maybe that's not the way to look at things. Or if you uh, don't like the things that you are getting, you maybe need to change the things you are doing. Yeah, absolutely. So that look, that's, that looks like a really interesting read. Think, uh, Think Like a Freak uh, by Stephen Levitt and Stephen Dubner. Thanks so much, Brian. All right, thanks, Reggie. That's it for today's episode. Find out more information about this and other topics at our website, engagedmeaningfullearning.wordpress.com. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to send them our way. Our email address is engagedmeaningfullearning at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.